Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. This is our I'm Brandy. I'm Emma. And I'm Mariana. This is your book club with a twist, and we are your happy hour girlfriends. Woo-hoo. This month, we read a. I cannot believe we have to say goodbye to these beautiful and completely engrossing characters. Novel, mm-hmm. yeah. The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by the oh so brilliant Taylor Jenkins Reid. Chicas, yeah. I didn't want this one to end. Yeah, to say I, I was moved and felt all the feels is an understatement. But before we navigate through the end of the novel, last week we really didn't hold back. We gossiped about our relationships with our gay besties, debated on whose side we were on. Evelyn's or Celia's. Yeah, Evelyn. (laughs) (laughs) Divulged our inner thoughts on explicit sex scenes. We even got Ricardo to chime in. (laughs) And whether or not to boycott alleged perpetrators' artistic work. Looked back on the Stonewall riots, and I keep going, commented on our final theories, (laughs) and admitted sacrifices we may or may not be confronted with while going through this life with our partners. We did all that last week? We (laughs) sure did. Holy (laughs) shit. Okay. (laughs) So, on that note, thank you, Taylor, for spurring up all this content. Okay. I actually never like to say goodbyes. So, till next time, Evelyn. Aww. E. Hi. Hi. <laughs> what are we sipping? Yeah. Oh, today Oy. we are sipping another Ricardo original. Yeah. Sadly, the drink's name has very sad connotations, but it's definitely appropriate. Today's cocktail is called The Right to Die. Oh. Yeah. I don't think much explanation is needed for why Ricardo chose this as the name of our drink today, but his thought process behind the creation of this drink is pretty interesting. He has created a drink that is incredibly strong, that could knock you off your feet, Mm. literally, or our stools, (laughs) (laughs) that has a touch of sour and salty and is green in color like a poison or a venom. Yeah. Here to share the recipe for this deathly cocktail is our vivacious bartender, oh. Ricardo. <laughs> Ricardo. Ciao, ladies. Welcome to the bar. Hi. Hi. How are you? Great. Amazing. Good. Ready. And you? I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. Thanks. Are you ready for the saddest cocktail of your life? Oh, yes. I guess. Give it to us. Okay, so let's gonna drink the right to die. It's a very intense cocktail, and we're gonna use a very weird list of ingredients. So for this cocktail, we're gonna need an ounce of the infamous Midori, three quarter of an ounce of absinthe, one full ounce of mezcal, half of an ounce of (laughs) lemon juice. So there's a little bit for everyone, for every palate. (laughs) With this, this cocktail is gonna be shaken and strained up in a coop and we're gonna make a salt rim on the on the glass please don't do the rim on all the edges but just of a on on a half of it so you can adjust the every yes. sip highly recommend the <laughs> the interesting part of, of this cocktail is the is the midori and a cool fact about midori is that it was launched in the US market in 1978 at the studio 54 so a super Ooh. iconic place yeah. yes for an uh, uh, for a party that was a pretty important party for the time because it was with the cast and the producer and all the crew that shot uh, Saturday Night Fever oh so, my goodness wait the movie Saturday Night yep. Fever well yeah. so there's the Hollywood connection yes, yes. that's why look at that's that nice. that's why <laughs> I love that movie so I know that is not a super famous spirit and I know that a lot of people are gonna have trouble finding it 
but I also think that it looks nice because this yeah, it's pretty beautiful. intense green color. And it looks like it can glow in the dark. Yes, it, does. it seems so. <laughs> and I think that we can train a little bit our taste to explore different flavor profiles. Otherwise, in our cocktail, we're always going to search for the smoky of the mezcal uh, or the right. botanical in the gin. And this one is going to help us to open a little bit our minds. So, yeah, open our minds, Ricardo. Yep. This <laughs> one is pretty intense, though. Brandy, so I hope that I we don't open too much your mind. I mean, this should tell you everything you need to know. I, I only made myself a single. Oh. Did you? I did a one and a half. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We were prepared. It was so little. It seems <laughs> a little, but it's all booze. I it's know. It's all booze. Well, anything with absinthe for me, there always has to be like this huge warning sign being like, are yes. you sure you want to go? Are you sure? Are you <laughs> Please. Danger. Yes. Yeah, danger. <laughs> so warned. I hope that you enjoy the cocktail and a la vostra salute. Gracias, Thank Ricardo. You, Ricardo. Ciao, ladies. Ciao. All right, women. Cheers. Cheers. Salud. Oh, God. <laughs> wow. Oh. The color of this drink matches my beanie. <laughs> it's totally it also nice. matches like the acid. Slimer from the Ghostbusters. It really does. <laughs> it yeah. is a bright, bright green. And what was that show on Nickelodeon with the goop? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. With this, the, the slime dropped from the, yeah, yeah. the slime that dropped. That's exactly what it looks like. Man, I miss old school Nick Jr. days. Oh, yeah. Those were the good days. Before we were drinking things like Before this. Before we had the right to die. Right oh, to dear die. God. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> All right, so Brandy. this week. <laughs> Express yourself. Let's go. <laughs> this week with Harry's blessing, Evelyn marries Max Gerard with high hopes that are quickly dashed by the realization that he doesn't really want her. He wants the movie star. Ugh. Despite Max's protestations and threats, Evelyn and Celia reconnect. Mm-hmm. This time for good when Evelyn learns that Celia has chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and likely won't make it past 60. After Harry's tragic death in a car accident due to his own drunk driving, Evelyn cleans up evidence, moving the unknown man in the passenger seat of the car to the driver's seat, thereby protecting Harry's legacy. Evelyn, Celia, Connor, and Celia's brother Robert, who is now Evelyn's husband, move to Spain where Evelyn and Celia won't be recognized and can finally live what's left of their lives together. Mm -hmm. There, Celia and Evelyn get married in an intimate ceremony all their own, in their bedroom, with hairbands for rings. That was so cute. Evelyn has had seven husbands, but only one wife. Six years later, Celia dies in Evelyn's arms, and years later, Connor dies of late-stage breast cancer. Major, major spoiler alert, but not really because I fucking hated this reveal. If you haven't read this far, stop right now. In present day, Evelyn admits to Monique that the man Harry had fallen in love with, the man in the passenger seat of that fatal car crash, was Monique's father, James Grant. In their final moments together, Evelyn admits to Monique that she too has late stage breast cancer and doesn't have much time to live. And it's only after Monique leaves Evelyn's apartment that she realizes what Evelyn's plan is. So the first thing that I want to talk about coming out... Hold up, Brandy. What? Welcome to our new segment on the podcast. Oh, I forgot. Listener questions. What? Listener questions. (laughs) One of our wonderful fans, Adela Antoinette wrote to us with our first listener question. And this is what she posed to us. I'm not sure if this will be addressed in an episode, but I'm curious on everyone's thoughts behind the fact that Taylor Jenkins Reid, the author, is white and straight, but she writes from the view of black and Latina women and LGBTQA plus people. I don't want to take away from the book. I am enjoying it, but I think it's important to note and I'm curious on your thoughts. End quote. Thanks, great Adela, for the question. question. Fabulous. It's a really great question. It really too. is. 
I actually read an interview with the writer on buy.org. Are you guys familiar with that website? No. I'm not. Okay, so Taylor Jenkins Reid was interviewed by this guy named Zachary Zane. Oh, by like bi.org. Yeah, bi.org. Oh, okay, okay, okay. They addressed actually this exact question. Mm. I'm not going to quote her very well-stated response because it's long, but uh, I'll I'll put the link to that uh, interview in the show notes if you guys want to go take a look at it. Thank you, Brandy. But the short version of her answer is that she sees that as a straight white woman, she has a lot of privilege. And she sees that in the book and publishing world, I mean, exactly what we're seeing across a lot of discipline, people of color and people in the LGBTQ plus community are underrepresented. But in her mind, she thought, what is she going to do? Keep Mm -hmm. pumping out books about white straight people because that's what she is. And that's kind of what she's, quote unquote, allowed to do. She, She just thought to herself, that doesn't really solve the problem. So instead, she sees hers as a platform that can still help lift up the stories of underrepresented communities. And she feels that by telling these stories, she brings them to an audience that might not have otherwise read a story about a Cuban bisexual female. Mm -hmm. And she points out that she also is very careful not to label this LGBTQ fiction because she doesn't want people dismissing it as if it's not for them if Mm. they aren't part of that community. She Mm. believes people should be interested in each other's stories, men and women's stories, white people in the stories of people of color, straight people in the stories of queer people, etc. And she also makes a point, she says, of lifting up authors of color via her social media platforms. Mm. So again, if you want to read that whole interview, I'll be putting it, uh, I'll be putting a link to it in our show notes. But I actually really loved that response from her. What did you guys think? I love that you just brought that up because when I first read Adela's question, which I thought was so fabulous and that she did bring it to light, I thought pretty much exactly that. Because when I was writing my intro for today's episode, I was kind of my my jaw was wide open as to how much material was filled in this book of pertinent Mm. topics, hot topics, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word, that Taylor touched upon. And yes, she's a straight white female, but she is giving a voice from her own perspective to those that struggle to have that platform. She's actually acknowledging and bringing the attention to subject matters that need Mm. to be openly talked about. Mm -hmm. And this is the way that she navigates through it. We've, We've said many times on the podcast that the worst thing that we can do as human beings is to stay silent. Mm-hmm. And she's found a venue where she can actually like just tell it how it is, how she feels. And she does her research. Yeah. yeah. Like there's she a does. lot of things speaking from a Latina, all the like the caldo gallego that she brought up at mm. some point. Things like that that only a Latina would know or someone of that type of heritage. But she really did her research to mm. really be as authentic as she could be living vicariously through her characters. Mm. Right. So yeah. I thank well you, Adela, said. and I think I I loved what Taylor has done and what she probably will continue to do. And that's why yeah. she's bringing in so many fans. Yeah. And my feeling is that at the core of it, it's not just about Black or Latina women or LGBTQA plus identifying folks. Mm-hmm. It's about the human condition to want to love and be loved. And that's something that everyone can relate to, no matter your gender or your skin color or your sexual preference. But she does, I mean, as as we just said, she does really, she did her research. And um, it never felt, I, I was never reminded reading the book that the author was a straight, a cis straight white female. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite novels that I read in the last couple of years is called A Little Life. Do you know it? No. no. It is a beautiful, devastating novel that centers around four gay men living in New York. And I had just assumed from reading the book that it had to have been written by a gay male because of how brilliantly the author captures the insight and and the mindset of of these four gay men. And I was shocked when I found out that the author is a woman. And I was like, that's amazing to me that they could paint this story. And I was so inside of it that I didn't that I just assumed that it had to have been written of someone who who could, um, you know, really like relate to that. 
So yeah, I, I personally would be nervous to write about cultures other than what I personally know because I wouldn't want to mess that up. But I do think that if you can connect to the human underneath, that's mm. the reason why actors can play characters that are different from themselves. They are. That's yeah, really, that's, that's so at true. the heart of, of every story. That's yeah, so true. Totally agreed. So thanks for our first listener yeah, question. Look at us. <laughs> Hopefully she has started a trend and you all can keep these coming. We this is fun. listener questions I in. know, seriously. Okay. 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 Oh, okay. Mariana, get us in there. So, you said that you fucking hated the reveal? Yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. Really? <laughs> yeah, I want more information on that. The reveal about, well, here's what I felt, okay? I just felt like as soon as Evelyn told the story about the car crash, which was chapters before she reveals the truth to Monique. I feel like we already knew, oh, that's her dad in the passenger I seat. I didn't. She, really? Yeah, I didn't see that coming. I was so pissed. I was like, bitch, you're going to wait till the end of this book see, to do this I... lame-ass review. I was so mad. Oh, my God. I was mad. <laughs> see, because when I, when I was listening to your intro, I was like, oh, my God, I'm in shock that you didn't... But, See, I didn't I didn't see it at all. And I'm usually very good at maybe foreshadowing what's about to happen. Right. Like Andrew yeah, always hates same. when I'm watching TV shows or films. And he's like, can you really not ruin this one for Cause me? Because you guess. Because right. I guess. And that's why I have so much fun with both of you, because a lot of times we come up with these theories that sometimes actually come out to be. Yeah, what you are. are really close you with mean this like one, Mariana. mine from last week? <laughs> well, that was, I mean, sometimes we don't do so well. And mine. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm so angry, actually. Because <laughs> you didn't write it. Because I was so far off <laughs> from what it was. Yeah. But I think <laughs> what I did want to bring up is that I was so overwhelmed emotionally <sighs> when Evelyn handed Monique her dad's mm. letter to Harry. It made me start thinking of my mom. Mm, right. And how, as you guys know, does not know her biological dad, and I don't know who my biological grandfather is. Right. And regardless of Evelyn's motives, but the gift that she gave Monique to know yeah. how much her dad loved her. Right. Like, I wish my mom could have something like that. Mm. Just a, like a letter or a symbol or something to fill that void mm. or give her that sense of comfort. Yeah. Not knowing, I think, is the hardest thing. Mm. I thought about you and that story a lot when I was reading this, Mariana. Because yeah. Because but you've told us, you know... That that story of your mom discovering that her dad was not her biological dad, and yeah, um, yeah I thought about you all a lot in this in this oh, chapter. I think the other really beautiful thing that came out of that was, I mean, you sort of already said it, Mariana, but Monique not only through that letter gets to know how much her dad loved her, but she also gets to know this incredible thing about her dad, which is that he was secretly gay, right. Yeah. And she learns it, you know, years and years and years after he's gone and has to decide whether or not to reveal this information to her mom. But I thought, what an, what an incredible thing to get to learn about him, that he had this whole other piece of himself that he had hidden from everyone. And you get to now take that and possibly go, you know, explore looking through pictures or looking through old yeah. things that he left behind, like, you know, is is there any more of him that you can find with this new piece of information that you you would not have had if Evelyn hadn't given you this letter? Now she she truly does know how much her dad James Grant loved her. Yeah, and, and for what me, he gave that's up for her. what he gave up. He gave up his own desires, his own like what he thought was really what was love or love that he had yeah. never felt with his wife at the time. But he did that so his daughter could feel safe, could be kept um, taken care of, could be taken yeah. care of. and So and that, that she'd have a complete family. That is true unconditional love. Speaking of the human condition, that's at its purest, I think. Do you two think if you were Monique, that you would tell your mom this Oof. huge secret about her husband? 
I don't think almost ever that any harm can come from the truth. Mm. And I wonder what kind of a journey it might set Monique's mom off on, a, you know, whatever journey of self-discovery for her might come from having that information. You know what I mean? I almost feel like it's cruel to keep it from her. I, I, <sighs> I totally agree with you. There is a part of me that is a little afraid of how her mother will react, knowing that because the way she responded to Monique's questions of like, were you guys passionate with one another? And she's like, well, we right. were in your typical marriage, but he was my best friend. I thought right. that was so beautiful the way she responded. Yeah. Oh, my the God. Way yeah. who, you could really see who James was as a man and as a father and as yeah. a husband. He was her soulmate. Hmm. And it seems like she was fine knowing that they weren't going to have like a fiery, passionate yeah, yeah or yeah. even a, a physical relationship at all, maybe because of what right. she got out of the emotional relationship, Yeah, which right. I think is more important so anyway. But I wonder if that might not be if that might not somehow fill a hole in her to learn that whatever this physical barrier was, you know, that they had where they weren't physical with each other. It had nothing to do with her. It was that he, yeah, was true. Gay. Didn't he like true. what I mean. There was nothing wrong with her. Yeah, yeah, like, right. That would give her some peace of mind. Right, <sighs> maybe, maybe. An interesting point that my sister actually brought up to me that I hadn't pieced together, and I wondered if you guys had, is that if Monique's father had left their family to be with Harry. Monique then would have essentially been Connor's stepsister and Evelyn Hugo's stepdaughter-ish. Oh, it's kind of interesting to think about raised. how different their connection so might have been if oh, that decision had gone yeah. the other way. I didn't even think of that. I didn't think about yeah. it at all. No. Yeah, her whole Neither did I, did life I. Her whole life would have been different. It would have been completely different, which, you know, we were saying that it's it's honorable that James didn't leave his family to go be with this man that he loved because he wanted to keep his family unit unit together, which I do think is honorable. But I do also have to wonder, like, if you're not fulfilled as a parent, if you're not completely happy. Yeah. Is there some missing piece that you're then passing down to your children? You know right. what I mean? Is there some hole that you're that your children are aware of? Right. Too. And what does that do? So I don't know. He was trying to do the right thing. His heart was in the right place. But I do have to wonder you're hiding something like that how that manifests yeah because it must it must and he was probably also afraid of the time that this was happening or this was happening that that was kind of like they either have to go and hide from everyone to actually live this love well and on top of it all he's black and he's black Mm. yikes oh you guys before we get into this like (laughs) downward spiral this like quick dust ball that was just accumulating that left me in tears i mean truly like devastating (laughs) tears for the last eight chapters before we get there we have to make note since we were really hard on her in the last episode that celia does apologize even though it's 10 years later she She does does apologize to evelyn and that was a really big move on her part and thank god she did because that's how they were able to be together yeah they get this beautiful time together late but still and she does admit to her insecurities and evelyn does admit to her selfishness which i also found very beautiful that they were so open and with one another and acknowledged the reasons why things didn't work out when they should have, or at least when they yeah. wanted to. Well, I think at this point in in life, when they reconnect with each other, I think they both realize, like, at this point, they really have got nothing left to lose. Yeah. Like, yeah. Evelyn's career is sort of on the decline at this point. Right. Well, actually, Celia, though, just won an Oscar. So she's still actually very... But she's sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got, you know, her her days are numbered at this point. And I think Celia did always. I Celia was always the one who said, "Fuck it all, let's go." Right. As idealistic as it was, she was ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about that ceremony? <laughs> okay. Oh so God. we're just go. Okay, fine. Sorry, we're not <laughs> going to be able to do this else? episode without me crying. When they pulled out those hairbands, <laughs> I was like, uh huh. 
Because, like, you always have it. I always have one around my wrists or I'm wearing it in my hair. Or there's, like, three in my makeup bag. Like, it's totally. the one thing that I feel like you always have. And I thought that was such a sweet, beautiful, just perfect Intimate. Touch. Oh, yeah. Right before they actually exchanged vows, one thing that I was, at that point, I was already gone. When Celia says hesitantly, but sometimes I get so mad at us for all the years we mm. lost. For all the time we wasted. And that was just like, Yeah, if this book, like, gave me nothing else, it did really make me feel like this is our one fucking life. So why Mm -hmm. shouldn't we do everything that we want to do in the time we have? Why should we ever be afraid to take risks? Why should we ever... Mm -hmm. Like, just always take the leap. Just always take the leap of faith. Because if you don't, you don't want to die with regrets. And like that, yeah. i that's the biggest message I took away from this book that yeah. really just left me in like a pile. I mean, I, I actually don't think I've ever cried at a book as much as I've cried at this book, which is weird because oh. I've read a lot of books. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think I've I've wept, truly like sobbed for as long a period of time I did for the last like nine chapters of this book. Yeah, it really, um, yeah, it had a profound effect on me. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that hit me hardest at the end was that she's all alone. Her own child has died. Harry is gone. Like one of the two great loves of her life is gone. Celia, Celia. is gone. She's like last woman standing all alone. And she's got her own death sentence on her because she's super sick, too. And I don't know, that image of her alone in that, you know, big apartment Mm -hmm. that she lives in and stuff just made me really sad for her. (laughs) Like everything she's worked for doesn't mean anything because she's she's got no one left. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you, too, because you both know my crippling fear of death and losing my loved ones, as I've shared in previous episodes. And as I just said, the last several chapters of this book really did a number on me as we witnessed the three people closest to Evelyn die. These chapters made me really question if I think it's better to have such a deep, deep love for someone and then lose them, or whether it's better to not have had that deep connection so you don't have to experience that immense heartache that comes with the loss of that loved one. So I want to know where you two stand on that matter. I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm definitely with you, Ems. That to me is so scary. And at times it has been debilitating just knowing that that's the end. I have yet to lose anybody near and dear to my heart. So I consider myself very lucky. Mm-hmm. But when the day comes, I will cope the best that I can. Right. Yeah. Right now, I would choose having one day of a deep, deep connection and overwhelming love with someone than not have experienced that at all. Yeah. Because to the point that you were making before, Emma, before we started this discussion, we come into this world by ourselves. We leave this world completely alone. So if we know that that's the end, why not do everything, do everything in our power to make those connections and love as much as we can and mm. do everything that we can on a daily to actually feel all of that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and the thing is, I know I'm going to sound like a broken record, but through this pandemic, I have learned that I must treasure every moment. When I was at home, I would constantly hug my mom, Aww. share moments with my dad and look at them and try to keep a mental photo in my mind because every moment Aww. I was with them meant everything. And I would think one day they won't be here. And I want to treasure these moments in my heart and mind forever. You know, I'm all about experiencing as much love and connection as I can because none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. But how fortunate are we to be able to live these moments? COVID has really taught me it's the little things in life. And I no longer want time to pass by without me being in the now. I think that this is what life is all about. Those moments of bliss with your loved ones. That's it. Well said. (laughs) Yeah, that's really well said. I mean, I I obviously agree with everything that you just said. I think if we're going to live a life without allowing ourselves to get too close to anybody, then like, what are we even 
doing here anyway. You know what I mean? There's no point. I think I'm going to give a very frustrating answer (laughs) as usual. Go for it. (laughs) I think once I accepted for myself that we're all spiritual beings here having a human experience on this planet. I think once I accepted that, I was able to understand that all we can do is use this time to learn Mm. and grow Mm. and enjoy having a physical body because you can't drink booze when you're a spirit. So you better (laughs) drink it all up now. (laughs) Who says you can't? That's true. Yeah, we don't know that. (laughs) But I think when you look at it that way, for me at least, there's something so beautiful in death and something so sacred in completing a cycle that all kinds of creatures before us have completed on this planet since the beginning of time. We're part of this Mm. big, beautiful cycle that just keeps moving forward. And so to me then, like my mom, she's not mine. She doesn't belong to me. She's Mm. a spiritual being that Mm. is gonna need to move on from this place at some point. That's not to say that I'm not gonna be a shitty mess when it happens, but looking at it that way has at least allowed me to like make peace with it, with the idea that the people I love are eventually gonna move on from this place. I'm eventually going to move on from this place. And if there's nothing on the other side of that, then we all just get to take a big old nap. I love naps. Like, I'm good with that. (laughs) So, I don't know. I feel like that's like a slightly blasé answer, but... (laughs) No, I love that answer. That made me feel so much better. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers to the right to die. Oh, (laughs) ladies. (sighs) I'm going to be a mess this episode. Oh, Oh, it's okay. Sorry. I don't think there's really anything I can add to that. I just think I need to, I just need to find a better way to, to, I need, I need to channel Brandy. (laughs) I need to channel your, (laughs) we both do, your outlook in it because I, I know that mine is, is maybe not healthy, like how, Mm. how much I fear it. Um, so I think I just need to find, I need to find, like, the spiritual connection to it. Mm. I mean, like, part of the reason I've never had a dog is because I don't want to lose the dog. Don't say that. So I'm purposely not, like, I'm not letting myself get connected to something Mm. like that because I know that I'll outlive it and I don't want to deal with that. So, like, if that's how I feel about a fucking animal, do you know what I mean? Like, that just really, like, paints for you where I really feel about this. Yeah. Um, how unhealthy my outlook with death is. And I just need to find a way to make peace with that. Um, Because for me, for me, I still don't know. For me, I still wonder, like, if all the good outweighs the end. I still don't know. (sighs) Yeah, we all just need to take a deep breath. (laughs) This is going to be a hard episode for me. Sorry. I know. You want to change the tunes for us? I want to change the tubes. Do it. (laughs) Lighten the mood. Because I don't want, yeah, I I want to lighten this up a little bit. Okay. Okay, great. One of the things that, and I mean, Taylor Jenkins Reid isn't an an actor, but it was fascinating to see her perspective through Evelyn of what she thought about the industry back then and what Evelyn had done. Oh, yeah. And didn't do to get there. Mm -hmm. So I loved the conversation that she had with Nick, her driver, when she was driving to the airport. So she reflected on so many things. And she says, when Nick asked her, basically point blank, how do you make it? How do you make it in Hollywood? And Evelyn goes on to say that it's mostly luck and that you have to be willing to deny your heritage, to commodify your body, to lie to good people, to sacrifice who you love in the name of what people will think. And to choose the false version of yourself time and time again until you forget who you started out as or why you started doing it to begin with. And I was like, oh. Yeah, it's a loaded one. There's a part of me that does agree. There's a part of me that there's certain things in this industry that we've not all faced or at least at the time that we're in now don't have to face. Right. But I feel like a lot of actors who have made it have probably interacted or have had to debate some of these things that she brought up. Absolutely. I mean, 
one thing like deny your heritage. How many times have Brandy and I brought up, well, you're not ethnic enough or right. you're too ethnic. And it's like, wait, what's the happy medium? Like, where do I go with my roots? Right. right? right. To commodify your body. How many times have we talked about like what, how we should look on Instagram or like on a particular headshot or like, is this too much? Is this too little? Or Whether or not we would be nude. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, to lie to good people. Oftentimes, through in auditions or in interviews, or you kind of like manipulate the truth a little bit. Not to say that you're like lying because you're a liar, but you kind of have to play the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be flexible. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about to sacrifice who you love in the name of what people will think, but I do know that there's a lot of actors out there. Like when we brought up Ella DeGeneres, how many years did she have to not own who she was, just yeah. as Evelyn didn't couldn't. Because she was afraid of losing her career. Yeah. Um, and to choose the false version of yourself time and time again. Mm. Well, we do that all the time. <laughs> There's a lot of times you have to choose yeah, that version man. that's not necessarily authentically us. Yeah. I mean... I think the interesting conundrum, though, in that last one is that we do that last one by choice. Like, we we choose to totally. play a character. That's the job. So, like, totally. in a weird way, we pick that one. Yeah. Well, yeah, but there's a difference between, like, picking a character, but then also infusing a false sense of yourself into... <sighs> I mean, this this is going to be, like, a much longer conversation, but <laughs> I know what you're saying, but I think that I think that that's two different things. Because I think, like, a lot of times, like, I'll paint myself as someone that I know I'm not because I know that that's what people see in me or, like, want me to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yes, totally. completely. But I think also, like, how many times have you heard an actor say, like, well, I'm an actor because I like pretending to be other people or, like, I like yeah. that I don't have to live my life. I get to escape my life. You know what I but mean? But I've There's never connected with that. I've never understood that. Because to me, there's never a separation. Like, it's me in someone else, but it's like bringing parts of myself into someone else. Mm-hmm. Unless I think you're playing, like, the Joker, because that performance, I just watched that movie for the first time, and I was like, what? Oh, Holy wow. Were you blown fuck. away? Blown yeah. away. So, like, that's something <sighs> yeah. where I'm like, maybe you do need to separate yourself, yeah. but I haven't had to play anything that for your sanity. extreme. Whew. Um, I also, in this moment, I loved the irony in Evelyn telling the driver that becoming, being famous is mostly due to luck. And then what happens, right? Then what happens right after that? And then he uses that Mm -hmm. to, to gain traction. And I was like, Mm -hmm. that is some fucking foreshadowing. Yeah. Yeah. Before we move on. There was a moment when Evelyn was talking to Harry and she was telling Harry that she she wanted to move to mm-hmm. to Spain, yeah. To Spain with Celia. And she said that she wanted to stop acting. And this hit me. Like I think that comment on Facebook hit you, Emma, because she said, My heart wasn't in it. My heart was never in the craft of acting, only in the proving. Yep. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, I felt that, too. Because <laughs> I can totally see that. I can get that. You you get so involved in what this industry is and what acting machine, is all about, yeah. the machine, that a lot of times with all the no's that you get and all the rejection, what you're fighting against is that. So it's a constant trying to prove yourself that you will be able to make it. But at times, at least for me, and this is my perspective, you sometimes lose track of why you started to do it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was kind of like, yikes, Taylor again. <laughs> Another yeah. one for the books. Yeah. Well, and actually in that in that interview that I had mentioned earlier, she actually mentions that she started out in Hollywood. Taylor Jenkins Reid did. She, I think she was writing. Oh, you're I'm not kidding. sure if it was films Uh-oh. and TV, but yeah, so she... She understands that world very uh-huh. well, clearly. That's why. Mm-hmm. That's why. Ah. Yeah. The other moment in Spain that I really liked is Celia admitting when Celia tells her that she's dying and then she's like, I want you to marry my brother so that you can right. get all my fortunes. And she writes the student yeah. who yes. the master <laughs> because it was like now she's Celia understands why Evelyn has, yeah, why she's done all that shit yeah. with the other men. 
for you. And I really so loved I that. that Robert, Celia's brother, strikes up such a wonderful friendship with Connor. I thought that also was a really beautiful touch because she's clearly mm-hmm. in like a troubled way for everything that she's gone through. Yeah, she's having a threesome. Yeah, of she's having like, some okay. issues. And I just thought it was lovely that he yeah. steps into that role that clearly she's missing now that Harry yeah. is gone. That yeah, that's right. That was really touching. I'm curious what you two made of this phrase that kept mm-hmm. coming up over and over again with the several deaths that Evelyn had to experience. She keeps talking about the devastating luxury of panic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm a little confounded by that. Like the luxury of panic. How did you two make of what what that means? I thought because of who she is and the the image that she represents that she can never go into that panic mode. I thought 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 two things. Like to be able to reach that point of feeling panic, she never was able to do it in front of anyone because who mm. knows what the tabloids would say. Uh-huh. And then also I feel like as a woman when tragedy strikes or where when something happens, we usually go into mama bear mode. There's no you have to fix whatever can be fixed. And if it can't be fixed, you have to just like follow through with it with the next steps are you can't mm-hmm. all of a sudden just like shrivel up into a ball and like mm-hmm. go into a panic. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. I think for her, she stopped being in a state of panic as a luxury because it's something that wasn't attainable for her that she couldn't mm. do at the time. And once she was able to do it, she was fearing it because it, it, it ended up being so much. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think the way I read it, you know, she's getting she's getting later into her life and she's starting to lose people. And realizing that she herself is mortal and probably will be dying, you know, too soon at some point. And I think she's realizing, I think the luxury is in realizing how much you've loved these people and Mm. what a privilege it is to love people and to have people in your life that you love that much. And so to me, that's what that devastating luxury of panic was, that Mm. you could love something so much that you feel it that much when you mm. lose them. Hmm. And that's life. Great, thanks. Well, what did you what did you make of it? <laughs> you don't you're not gonna get off that easy. <laughs> no, I pose the question to you too. <laughs> we pose it back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was I was thinking more along Mariana's lines, you know, when I was reading it. I because at first I was I didn't make much of it, but then when it kept coming back, mm-hmm. I was trying to really think about what that meant because it's an interesting way to phrase it. You know, the luxury of panic mm-hmm. is so specific because to me, panic doesn't ever equal anything rewarding or positive. Sure. Um, so I was thinking about it more on, on in the way that Mariana just described it, but I also really like the way that you just described mm-hmm. it. So I'm going to choose to... I'm going to choose to channel that (laughs) in my journey of um, becoming more at peace with death as it is inevitable. Well, Mm. on that note, this is a tough one, women, but I don't think we can talk about this book without talking about the ending in which it seems Evelyn knows she's going to die and chooses to end her life on her own terms. So I feel like we have to talk about assisted suicide and the right to die with dignity, especially since our bartender named this week's cocktail for this concept in the book. So I want to know where you ladies stand on this issue. Do you think that people with terminal illnesses have a right to take control of their deaths? Is this something you could ever see yourselves coming to terms with, either for yourselves personally or for a family member? And if you were Monique, would you have gone back to stop Evelyn or do you think the book ended the right way? The timing. Um, 
The timing for when we read this and for your question is um, really crazy. As my aunt-in-law actually has decided to use Washington State's death with dignity law um, to end her life. Oh, Emma. 10 days from now. Oh, my God. This is actually like the first time that I think I'm letting myself grieve through it, which is why I'm really emotional. Because I haven't really let myself process that yet. But she has Parkinson's plus, and so she's deteriorated very quickly over a period of time. And it's been really painful. And and she just knew that she didn't want to have to continue in such a way. And so she's opted. She lives in Washington, and they do have a death with dignity law. And so she she has opted to choose that. And it's been really weird for me thinking about how that happens because I'm really close with her, her um, kids. They're my cousins. Yeah. And I just keep thinking, you know, I need to write them a letter and I need to write her a letter. But what do you say to someone when they know that they're going to die? And I haven't figured that out yet because I haven't written the card yet. But ultimately... I know that it's really, really hard for her kids, obviously, but I also know that they are supporting her because one of them has been with her for for quite some time now to help Mm. take care of her. And she's witnessed, you know, the pain that she's in and how how difficult things have become and doesn't want to see her suffer like that anymore. And so in knowing that her kids are supportive in that Mm. makes that easier Mm. and makes me feel like I would probably choose the same if it were one of my parents yeah but it just has to be so hard because how do you you know it's one thing to lose someone you love but to have that date like circled on your Mm. calendar what do you do leading up to that what do you say how do you want to spend that time but also what a beautiful gift that you get to choose you get to curate that time. It's not coming out of nowhere. It's not a surprise. That's true. You get to That's... decide how you spend that time, and you mm-hmm. get to say goodbye. Right. You yeah. You get to plan that, that, that goodbye. True. Right. Well, I think my heartbeat is, like, coming up as a waveform through my oh, My microphone is, like, Emma, picking I'm up my so heart. <laughs> it's so weird. I had no idea this was going on, or I probably wouldn't have asked this damn no, question. No, I know. It's crazy, the timing. But, I mean, but it's it's valid, and it, it, it's so pertinent to the book, and I think probably why I was such a mess reading the book, because I knew it at the time when I finished yeah. it. Wow. Um. So that that's that's where I stand on it. What was the last part of your question? Was if I were a Monique, would if I go back Monique, and yeah. stop her? No, I don't think so. I think Evelyn is so steadfast and she she clearly thinks everything through before she very calculated. She's very calculated. And so if this is, you know, I'm sure she's taken some time to think about this and if this is what she wants. And you know, like we said, she really has nothing left except for herself and she may just not that may just not be enough if she doesn't if she's not acting anymore and, and she, if doesn't she doesn't have, have her, her loved ones yeah and she doesn't have her right if she right. knows right it's what it's not like she's just giving up because she's lost everyone she knows that the end is coming because she is in stage three right. breast cancer right that is that's an important and she saw her daughter go through exactly that right 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 she knows exactly so, what's coming what's coming I don't blame her at all, and and I wouldn't stop her. Yeah, I'm so sorry, Emma. I know I'm so sorry. I, no, I'm. I just don't even know how to follow your. <laughs> sorry. Well, no, I shouldn't have gone first, but I couldn't stop no, crying. No, no. <laughs> but, I, but I'm glad you did because I I kind of. I wanted to really talk about this, but I also feel that I'm in a place that I don't know how I would feel, and I don't want to put. Because I, I think that absolutely that we have the right to choose when we die if if we are diagnosed or the prognosis is a terminal illness and we know the date. I just didn't know necessarily how to express myself because it's something that I've never experienced. So yeah. it's really hard to talk about that. Right. But I... I 
I can't even imagine the pain that your aunt is going through. I can't imagine the pain that your family is going through. But as to Brandy's point, to be able to choose when you're going to say goodbye to your family, really know, you know, the time that you do have and have those last moments in a safe and comforting place. I think yeah. that that that's going to be, I, I hope that's a gift for her. I'm sure that will be a gift for her that she will be able to die with dignity and and will be able to tell everyone what she's always wanted to say to them and love everyone the way that she's wanted to love everyone. I mean, that's, I think... What I would hope that that would happen with me and my parents, that if we had the time that we would be able to right. share all those thoughts that we need to share. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And then to Monique, <laughs> um, I I think that, yeah, what you guys said was exactly what I was thinking. I think she had to respect Evelyn's choice and Evelyn chose that life was no longer worth living because she was... She wasn't leaving anyone behind. She trusted Monique with that choice and she she lived her life and she was ready to say goodbye. Yeah, I I agree with that. The only I did have one tiny moment where I was like, oh, if I was Monique, I'd go fuck this bitch's shit up was I I did think to myself, like, I would want to know more about Harry if I was Monique. Like, this is the man that my father was in love with like i'd go interrupt her little Uh. suicide mission for a day and be like no now you've got to fill me in on harry tell me who harry was who is it that my dad was so in love with that he contemplated leaving our family you don't feel like she knows enough about harry through all the stories that she told her i i guess i I guess you're probably right i mean i hope i hope anyway that we're not getting all of the information but that monique did (laughs) Yeah, I I guess that's true. Maybe Monique is getting more detail than what we're getting. But if all she got was what we got of Harry, like, no, I want to know what that man ate for breakfast. I want to know what his daily, like, routine was. I want to know what movies he liked. I want to know what music he listened to. Like, who was my dad in love with? You know what I mean? Like, this is the only person left who has access to that information. So I feel like I would want to mine the crap out of that and be like, okay, now go do your thing. But I, I agree that I think people have a right to die the way they want to, especially if they're sick. Nobody should have to. I can't imagine being that kind of a burden on my family if I were mm-hmm. so sick. And I also wouldn't want to be remembered that way. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'd want to be remembered when I was still in my right mind, when I was still strong, like when I'm still clear headed. Chugging a dirty martini. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Having my drink. Like laughing, you know, stuff. Like I don't yeah. want to be remembered as the thing you had to take care of till she slowly withered away. Like, oh I'll my pass. God. But no one would I'll actually think, like, remember you that way. Well, nobody would. I know what you mean, th- but like. It's, it's a crass way to say it. But like, I have an aunt who I loved dearly. And she was very sick with diabetes for a long time. And, like, I'm talking, she had diabetes almost her whole life. But then there towards the end, I mean, the last at least 10 years of her life were very hard years. Mm-hmm. I love her dearly. And I, you know, I wasn't the one there taking care of her every day. You know, that was her children. But I do remember her that way. That's that's her. You know, that's those are the last memories that I have of her. And I just think that for myself, like, I don't I don't know that I would want my sisters to remember me like that. I would want them to remember me like this, Mm. especially if I know my time is coming. Like, let's just let's just do it right. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I support that. Changing (laughs) tunes again. Yes. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Ladies, chicas, I loved the way this book ended Bye. Taylor sharing with us Monique's Vivant headline article. Yes, Monique. (laughs) I actually kept thinking about it for days. Really, I did. After it ended, I'm sure you guys did too. When Evelyn made the deal with Monique about posing for the cover story and allowing Monique to share a teasing snippet of what the biography would entail, I actually always thought it would have to do something with her sexuality. Evelyn's bisexuality would intrigue... Mm. And bring in the money and publicity Vivant, Frankie, and Monique desired. Were you both satisfied with the ending? And what did you take the quintessential Evelyn response to Monique's question to really mean? And let me remind you of the question. Does it bother you that your husbands have become such a headline story? 
so often mentioned that they have nearly eclipsed your work and yourself. That all anyone talks about when they talk about you are the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo. And Evelyn's response is, no, she told me, because they are just husbands. I am Evelyn Hugo. And anyway, I think once people know the truth, they will be much more interested in my wife. I think it's very clever, her keeping her husbands at the forefront of her story. And I think it's a clever title for the book, too, because it's indicative of how she lived her life. The husbands and the scandal at the forefront to distract while she literally hid her wife in plain sight. And I think it, in some ways, too, this might be Evelyn choosing to leave the world with a little bit of a wink. She was such a grab-life-by-the-horns person in every single way. She dominated her industry. She did whatever she had to do to get to the top. She played the tabloids constantly. And this was the one thing, her true sexuality, that I think always eluded her, that she was never able to be honest about. So I think... In revealing it in this way, it's her way of getting the upper hand again. It's her way of making one more final epic splash that's going to have a ripple effect and keep the memory of her and Celia alive for a long, long time. And I think there's something so funny about it, too. The idea that people ate all this gossip. Uh, they they ate it up and they, you know, I feel like they they laughed about her marital failures and they judged her with, you know, with every new marriage and every new divorce. And little did they all know that they were being played for freaking fools because she had a whole secret life that no one even knew about. Hmm. So I feel like it's her ultimate final power play before she yeah. pieces out. <laughs> This is going to sound so lame, but I have no- I have nothing to add to that because that's exactly how I yeah. feel. <laughs> I know that's not, you know, exciting, but yeah, same. Like, it's just so cheeky. And it just also affirms how much she loved Celia because really she's saying the story isn't about me. It's about this amazing woman that I got yeah. to marry and like how fucking great is she? Yeah. And so it kind of like flips the switch where she's like, I don't have to be the star anymore because the star in my yeah. life oh. was my wife. Oh, that rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I, I really liked it. And, um, and, you know, the the title of the book is not Evelyn Hugo's Seven Husbands. Right. It's the Seven Husbands of mm-hmm. Evelyn Hugo, which is just more, it gives her more power than it is telling the story of the men. It's the men that she had in her life. Yeah. It, it just kind of, it, it's it's a little more specific in that yeah. way. That's it. <laughs> it's fascinating to me because I either I misinterpreted it completely. <laughs> I totally agree with you two what you two are saying. And I'm like, yes, totally. But I had another interpretation and that's why I kept thinking about it over and over. Tell us. What okay. were you thinking? Because I was very, very much satisfied with the ending, but I took it in a different way. And I think ending with this article made the perfect sense since throughout the novel, we were bombarded to what those other tabloids like the Sub Rosa and now this had to say, Mm -hmm. which were the lies and scandals that overshadowed the truth. Mm -hmm. Finally, Monique was telling it like it is or like it was. Evelyn's quintessential response made me think that as scandalous as seven husbands sound... All that many will remember or be intrigued by was that she had a wife because of the era we're talking about, whereas we mentioned previously being gay was extremely dangerous and ultimately destroying people's lives. The idea of a star being gay or a lesbian was just unheard of. Mm -hmm. She was a star others wanted to emulate and to think that she was actually different in their terms, not mine, would shock everyone. This would be the biggest piece of news. Yeah. In a way, it shows how shallow and awful we are as human beings. Why does this have to be the news? It's a person's life. She could have chosen to live it how she wanted to live it, however she wanted to. So she chose it to live it however she wanted to. But unfortunately, she couldn't because she had to fit in a box to be Evelyn Hugo, not to be Elena Herrera. Hmm. Ah. That's how kind of I... Ah. Yeah. 
but I agree with you guys completely. But it's a great ending. It's yeah. a fantastic ending. Yeah. And I love I really loved the idea that she gets to leave on her own terms. It feels fitting for her. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. don't think she would have had it any other way. No. Well, <laughs> ladies. <Yeah. laughs> Since we have come to the end. Oh. oh. I have a final question. Oh. Do you now? I do. Well, let us have it. <laughs> if you were to channel Evelyn Hugo, who would you choose for your seven husbands? Ooh. And your current husband does not count. Okay. Thank you for that. And <laughs> also, <laughs> who would you choose for your wife? Ooh. Ooh. So you have seven choices for a husband. Ooh. And sorry, just and one for a wife. But wife. we can't, you know... Monogamous when it comes to the ladies, right? <laughs> but is it fine if we like pick stars and stuff like celebrities, or does it have to be real people? I in our could lives? only pick celebrities. Okay, whoever Whatever you, you want. want. Okay, go okay. for it, Mariana. It sounds like okay. you're. It sounds like you're ready. <laughs> okay, so er, my Ernie Diaz will be would be Desi Arnaz. Oh, My fucking Don Adler would be Tom Cruise. <laughs> Mm. Oh, I like how you're structuring this. Okay. My Mick Riva would be Bradley Cooper, but Bradley oh. Cooper as Jack in A Star is Born. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Nice. My Rex North would be Brad Pitt. My Harry Cameron would be Matt Bomer. Oh. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I knew I was going to get that reaction from you guys. <laughs> oh, I like how you structured I'm that. My, it was the only way to keep track. My Max Gerard would be Johnny Depp. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my Robert Jameson would be Patrick Swayze. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And Celia, for some reason, Natalie Portman. Oh, oh, I did not see that coming. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fun. I like how you did that. Mine are not I didn't do mine like that. <laughs> Me neither. I got seven guys and I got one lady. <laughs> Let's hear them. And unfortunately, I think like four of my guys are actually like really the same guy if you think about it. So mine oh. are <laughs> Kyle Chandler, because I love Patrick Dempsey. <laughs> oh, yeah. Josh Charles. Oh. Joshua Jackson. I think those four yeah. guys are all pretty much the same guy. Very similar. But yeah. then <laughs> Daniel Kaluuya. Oh, oh my God. From Get Out. Oh. Oh, I just, I think he's just fucking phenomenal. He is fucking amazing. Mm. Yeah. James Marsden. Oh, yeah. Why not? And Javier Bardem. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, fire. Yeah. And then for my wife, the only person I could really think of was Ava DuVernay, because I think she's fucking gorgeous and like she's brilliant, and like I was just like, ooh, that's she's just like everything. Yeah, I'm with you. Oh yeah, she's fierce. Mm-hmm. Let us have it, Evans. <laughs> love, love it. Well, my first one, obviously, is Paul right. Rudd. Oh, of course, <laughs> get that out of the way. <laughs> then I would marry Wells Adams from The Bachelor. No! <laughs> You gotta I be kidding him. me. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> He's cute. Then I would marry Amos Lee. Oh my mm. God. Beautiful choice. Mm. Thank you. Then John Hamm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Funny I was sexy. Thinking, yeah. Jake Dalton. Jake Dalton. The uh, Olympics gymnast. Oh, oh yeah. That's why I was like, that name sounds really familiar. Yes. I get that. Fire. Yeah. He may be dead, but Gene Kelly will forever hold <gasps> oh my, my heart. Oh, my God. That's such a great one. Oh. Yeah. And last but not least, my seventh husband, who I guess also <laughs> is my Harry Cameron, would be Steve Kornacki. Steve Kornacki. <laughs> I don't know who that is. From MSNBC, the journalist. I oh, my God. That's like you didn't too. even think about that. <laughs> He's famous for the election week. Yes. He wore the same outfit the for time. like seven days. He really did. Oh, well, he was working his oh ass God. off. Oh, my God. And my wife would be Zoe Kravitz. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. I love her. Yes. 
Or for a non-celebrity choice, I'm going with my friend Kristen Hot. Kristen, I don't even know if wow. you listen to this podcast, but I would marry you, girl. It's getting yes. real. Ricardo better watch <laughs> out. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, Emma just proposed to someone on the <laughs> We'll let you know how that turns out next week. (laughs) But for now, thank you all so much for listening. Do you have a personal question for us? Do you want to offer up an insight about the book like Adela Antoinette did today? Yes. Shoot us an email at arethesebooksdrunk at gmail.com. Yeah. We would love to shout out our new listener, Felipe. Yeah, Felipe. Thank you, Felipe, for finding us because you're new to our happy hour and listening along. We appreciate how candid you are. Looking forward to reading what you and all of you out there think. Yes, please. (laughs) Yeah, we are so excited to announce our next book for the month of February. Yay! We're reading The Vegetarian by Han Kang. This fictional novel has been depicted as a darkly allegorical, Kafka-esque tale of power, obsession, and one woman's struggle to break free from the violence both outside and within her. Yes! We'll be starting part one by reading up to page 59 in the hard copy of the book. That's up until the chapter entitled Mongolian Mark. Keep following us on Instagram at Are These Books Drunk to keep up with next week's cocktail pairing so that you can read along and step along with us. Cause, Cause it's always happy, happy hour or sad hour according to this episode happy hour with a buttload of Ooh, tears a heavy one drink them up Jeez. Hey. <laughs> salud Bye. ladies love you ciao Bye. ladies love, love you, you.